Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for picking this podcast. I know that there have been over 2 million podcasts that have been started. The secret? Half of them died out. In fact, there's actually a term for it. It's called pod fade. The average podcast that someone has started dies out, fades away between seven and 12 episodes. And yet we are closing in on episode number 700 here on Making Waves at Sea Level, which was originally called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I'll tell you what, we are going to today talk a little bit more about the cannabis industry. We've had quite a few people on the show in the past year because it's an industry that is changing, growing Companies are are experiencing all kinds of things around regulation, having to find new ways to do stuff. And the people who are behind these companies, they have to be creative, clever, and they have to make waves. And so today we're going to talk to somebody who is in New Mexico, which is one of the newest markets for cannabis. But he's not new in general. He's been working with the hemp plant for a long time, and we're going to learn a lot about John Cedillo and Family Hemp Brands. But before we do... I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. And in fact, talking about the cannabis industry, I have a coworker, one of the partners in the firm who actually is one of the leading search people in the cannabis industry. So that's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can because I actually work for Stanton Chase. All right, so... John Cedillo is our guest. He is a passionate hemp farmer, and he's an advocate for the cannabis industry. He is making waves in the adult-use cannabis market in New Mexico, which I think 2022 is when they'll actually be able to start selling. So lots of things are changing in his world of New Mexico. So, John, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Oh, boy. Thanks for the welcome and the great introduction. I'm super excited to be here and share as I can. So tell me a little bit about uh, Family Hemp Brands. Uh, when did you start the company and, uh, and, and how has it grown? Yeah, so I started Family Hemp Brands in 2018, really the very end of 2018. Uh, it, it really became clear through the passing of the 2018 Farm Bill that hemp was an option uh, in terms of working with the cannabis plant. And, you know, New Mexico has had an active uh, medical cannabis program for for really quite a long time back uh, i think 2007 is when that that took place but uh licenses were really limited uh we had a a two-term administration that was not in support of the program so that just kind of held those who were interested in a holding pattern i was you know one of many for sure 
So when farming hemp kind of came onto the radar, I was super excited because it, again, it gave me the ability to put contact to the plant that I'm passionate about and, uh, do so at, at a substantially larger scale than what I would have been doing if I was involved in rec- or excuse me, uh, medical cannabis. So that, that was an exciting moment for sure. So I know that there's a difference between cannabis and hemp, but a lot of people don't. Everybody thinks it's one plant. It's actually two. What are the differences? Well, I'm going to be telling you, I'm one of those people that say it's one plant, but how do we, how do we separate it? I, you know, chemical constituency. So cannabis is cannabis, but uh, cannabis type one, which is THC cannabinoid dominant versus cannabis type three, which is CBD and, and other cannabinoid dominant. Um, that's how I, how I differentiate, you know, in terms of plant morphology, the general structure of the plant, uh, shared terpenes, lots of characteristics and qualities are very much shared between cannabis hemp and cannabis marijuana. I generally refer to type one and type two, but that's a, a newer terminology that I think the industry as a whole, uh, industry insiders are used to that language, but uh, consumers are like type what? Um, but you know, really, I, I think the, the single separating fact is what is their chemical constituency? What are those compounds? So, uh, I generally just use the word cannabis and if I'm describing hemp, I'll say cannabis hemp. Um, so there's my explanation. Awesome. So there's also a a lot of misunderstanding about what is a cannibal, a can, can, I can't even say it right. (laughs) <laughs> what is a cannabinoid? Yeah, now, oh, that was contagious. Yeah, see? Yeah, what, what is a canna- cannabinoid? Cannabinoid. So, what, you know, what is a cannabinoid and why is the human body wired for them? Yeah, so uh, cannabinoids are naturally occurring compounds, not only in the cannabis plant, as it turns out, but they're very, uh, they're heavy produced through the cannabis plant. And what cannabinoids do is they intersect with the endocannabinoid system. They are uh, really kind of, well, each, can, each cannabinoid can really serve a different purpose. So uh, CBD in particular is sort of a lubricant, if you will, for uh, the CB receptors. So we have a number of receptors, CB1 and CB2. And really there's a synergistic interplay between uh, the endocannabinoid system and cannabinoids. And um, I think that what's exciting about this, I, I guess I will have to say, uh, you know, cannabis chemistry and, and, and our own personal body chemistry is we've been studying this in very, very limited form. So as the cannabis industry, whether it's hemp or marijuana, begins to take uh, a, a greater foothold and, and get a greater sense of social acceptance we're going to learn so much. Uh, we're going to learn what are the synergistic kind of outcomes between compounds that are even yet to be identified. Uh, we often, or at least in the past, would think about whether it's THC or CBD, but all of the other compounds and the interplay that there is occurring with those cannabinoids is super exciting. Uh, I'm not really in that field, um, but uh, certainly I have to see it and, and, and have some peripheral understanding of it. And if I was in that field, it'd be just as fascinating as, as you know, studying genetics and, and looking at what I look at daily. So before you founded this company in 2018, what, what did you do before? What's your background? 
so my background is architectural design and custom building. Which, which leads directly to being, you know, a <laughs> cannabis farmer. Yeah, well, it turns out I was a passionate hobbyist for a, a really, really, really long time. Um, you know, I think having, having other business and, and being successful in that direction afforded me a lot of latitude in my hobby and working with cannabis. I, I got to explore, I got to imagine, you know, and I'm, I'm naturally inclined in terms of uh, mechanics and engineering. So um, I, I had a great time exploring all types of different growing techniques and processes and different plants. And, you know, I love science. So uh, there is, you're flush with stimulation. If, if you want to be stimulated and you happen to appreciate nature, cannabis is a great field for, for that individual. So what led you to be an entrepreneur in your previous field? Were, were you entrepreneurial as well? Oh gosh, I'd have to say in a previous life, I feel like I came into this world as an entrepreneur. Um, this is a true story. So seven years old, I really had no concept of how much a particular item might be worth. But what I did understand is in, in the little community that I lived at that time, uh, people burned coal for their heat. And I found a, a pretty sizable chunk of coal and my, my, natural, my natural inclination was march this down to the neighbor about a quarter mile away, knock on the door and see if I can sell it to him. I did exactly that. I walked down, knocked on the door, asked them if they wanted to buy this chunk of coal that I found. And they said, no. (laughs) Hey, but you tried. I I never stopped. Yeah, I never stopped. I, I think really what it comes down to is, you know, really pursuing your own path more than trying to sell something. Uh, I think trying to sell something becomes a byproduct of pursuing your own path, having a vision and, and, and running with that vision. And at the end of the day, yeah, you got to pay bills, you got to pay your people. Um, and so, uh, you know, money becomes relevant. Um, but I, I enjoy uh, kind of conceptualizing something and, and watching it or facilitating it into, uh, into reality. So, you know, now that you've been at this in this industry for three years with this company, what are some of the challenges that you've faced as you've grown the business and, and how many people do you have now? How big is the company? Yeah, gosh, what were the challenges? I don't know that we have enough time uh, for that. <laughs> there has been, uh, and there still are really, you know, there, there are challenges um, that we saw coming and then there's challenges that you, you just, you get blindsided by. Um, and, and that's really part of the beauty of being an entrepreneur. Like, how do you respond to those challenges? Um, so our, our first real hit as a challenge was finding a space that would allow us to manufacture our, our CBD products, even though, uh, it was legal. There was just this sort of social sentiment of, well, I'm not really sure. And, and we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, find ourselves in a, in a jam. So that was a challenge, uh, but we, we kind of anticipated that one. Um, but we found a space and, and it was raw. I mean, it needed a lot of work. So we spent the better part of eight months uh, converting our facility so that we could even start doing what we do. Um, from there, we, we moved all the way through product development, product testing, all of our research and development. And, uh, you know, that was feeling pretty good. Then our bank dropped us. 
we didn't have a single glitch. There was no problem. Uh, there was there was good money in the bank. You would think that they'd be excited to keep us, but uh, they went through you know I guess their standard FDIC audit, and my banker comes to me and says, John, I'm I'm sure sorry. We we really love you guys, but we we can't offer you services anymore. So that was a challenge because we had to not only find uh, a new bank, but that was not an uncommon uh, response. Bankers were just not ready to, to take on CBD companies. Yeah, I have interviewed uh, across many states now around the country. I have interviewed a lot of companies, both on the, the hemp side and also on the marijuana side. And that is a yeah. huge problem, even in the state where it's legal you know, the, the right. people who are, who are in the recreational and even the medical side of the marijuana side, the banks won't touch them, which creates right. all kinds of, of barriers and also really some dangers. I mean, some, some people I've talked to have talked about, you know, having to work on a cash basis and having to, the amount of money they spend on security because of, of that. Yeah. If they have a dispensary or something like that, it's, it's, it's crazy. I think that the, the, the banking rules are going to have to catch up since this business is booming as much as it is. They are. And I think that if, if any group of, of professionals is probably going to move slowly, it's those in compliance. You know, they're not well suited to say, Hey, I got this idea. Let's, let's go with it. Uh, you know, they will, they will poke holes in every possible plan and, and good because we need those types of people to do their due diligence and really make sure, um, you know, in terms of regulation, that was a, a, a little bit different tack that we took as opposed to a lot of companies, I, I heard a lot of dissent, a lot of moaning and groaning about, we don't want to be regulated. We don't need this oversight. It's harmless. That's great. And I certainly agree that the plant is harmless. And in fact, it's, it's very helpful. But what I didn't agree with uh, was this notion that we don't need regulation. I, I thought, wow, what a sure way to shoot yourself in the foot as an industry to say, we got this. We don't need anybody else. Uh, what that really invites is bad actors and, and people who are far less interested in creating overall uh, improvement in health and wellness than just making a few quick bucks. So we took a different tact here in the state. Uh, we we immediately aligned with the policymakers and, and really extended ourselves to say, hey, we are we are industry experts. We are experts on this plant. We are experts in various directions within our field, but we're not policy experts. So we want to help you um, with the information and, and the know-how and the knowledge that we have so that what you do is, is best empowered. Um, and I think that that was really helpful. You know, family hemp brands resultingly, I think, from a, a forward and a proactive position uh, was the first vertical hemp company in New Mexico to be awarded a manufacturing and, and uh, an extraction license uh, for our products. So that, that was a nice little win. That felt like a good benchmark. Um, but then, you know, in terms of challenges, boy, they, they just kept coming. Um, you, you get people who are really attracted to this uh, plant, but does that mean that they're really the best or, or, or best suited for you to employ? Not necessarily. Um, I think that we've been lucky and, and for the most part, hiring good people. Uh, it's, it's sad when you have a good team or a good you know, section of your team that life takes them somewhere else. That, that's a challenge. It's like, wow, you had this really uh, good core group. And then over, say, six months or so, 
this person moves, that person has to do something else. I mean, those are challenges that just come with, I think, any any business landscape, not, not unique to hemp or, or cannabis, either one. So how many people do you have in the company now? Uh, so collectively right now, I would say that we're pretty small. We're, we're six, uh, on payroll right now. Uh, we were as much as 14 and, you know, the ebb and flow is partly seasonal. Um, but we've also scaled back, you know, the, the, one of the challenges that again, to just kind of keep harping on challenges, apparently, uh, one of the challenges was that, that this is such a, a, ch- a shifting and changing landscape. You know, it's kind of like an infant, they're all cute and cuddly when they come out. Well, actually, when they first come out, they're generally not cute or cuddly. <laughs> but they um, get cute and cuddly pretty quick. Get, yeah. yeah, they do, right? They get cute and cuddly. Uh, and, and then they become three-year-olds. Um, so, uh, you know, my analogy there is to really say that we were initially focused on producing really high-quality products based off the oil that came from the, the hemp that we farmed. Uh, the emerging smokable market, definitely caught our attention early and in moving that direction, it made a lot of sense to uh, not grow many, many, many acres of hemp, but grow a few acres of hemp, uh, but really, really high quality. And, and, you know, that changes not only the, the scale in which you operate, it really just changes your process because when we're farming for biomass, that's ultimately becoming a, a CBD oil we treat the plant differently. You know, we're not out there with combines. Yes, that's a norm in the industry, but that wasn't our, our model. Um, but then when all of a sudden you're focused on uh, a really craft artisan, small scale product, your process changes. Uh, and, and therefore how you operate, you know, what staff you have, all of those things are affected. Well, is it hard to attract people into the industry when you're looking for sort of like key people at the highest levels? Because I know that that's one thing that a lot of the, the large companies that are growing in different states, you know, if they if they want someone, you know, it's you can't go out and get someone with 10 years industry experience as a CFO or as the head of marketing because, you know, 10 right. years ago, the industry didn't exist, at least not in a legal you know, situation. So, you know, trying to lure the right people into the industry who might have the right skills with consumer packaged goods or in accounting or something else. Uh, do you find sometimes people are like, nah, I don't know. Well, and, and I think that there's truth to that for one. Um, but it's, it's kind of galvanized for us because we're in a unique region. You know, we're in, in a rural, uh, Northern New Mexico region that yes, yeah, Santa Fe is not too far away, but we don't live in Santa Fe. Our, our farm is 40 miles east of Santa Fe. Um, our manufacturing used to be in Santa Fe, and we, we literally just completed a move to bring manufacturing much closer to the farm. Um, but I, I think in terms of top positions or key positions, you know, much can be done, and, and the whole COVID experience really demonstrated this well for all of us. Much can be done remotely far more efficiently than what we've probably thought was possible before, but you know, throw them into the water. They're either going to sink or swim. (laughs) So John, I've got a couple more questions for you, but first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them is brought to you by Podfly productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment training and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, 
growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people who are making waves in their industry, like John Cedillo. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this program. So, John, I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing? <laughs> what is the coolest thing you're doing with Family Hemp Brands right now? Oh, okay, good. It wasn't just about me. I'm like, oh man, my my extreme sports car is about to come out. <laughs> oh wait, I'm making a note of that. Go on, tell me about the coolest thing the company's doing, and then we'll ask about extreme sports. Yeah. Okay. So I think one of the cool things that we're doing. As, as we've really kind of scaled back, we, we initially set out as a model to both help uh, farmers and, and those interested in farming hemp. Uh, so we would provide them both some, some operational assistance and then also the genetics that we very much wanted to come, have come back to us. So that was great. Um, but what we found was there's challenges in working with farmers uh, on a whole number of fronts. So you know, as, as a small business, we were nimble enough to pivot and say, hey, uh, this isn't the best thing for us. So how do we respond to less product? Well, let's position ourselves to not have to have uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of hemp. Um, so moving our operation really out of a context of a row crop and putting it into uh, a craft or an artisan kind of level product that's coming out of greenhouses is, is exciting. But I think really the most exciting thing is we're, we're adopting in adult use cannabis as it, as it emerges here, we're adopting so much of what we learned as, as I'd say medium scale hemp farming. Um, you know, honestly, I, I was looking to get involved in the, in the recreational cannabis, or excuse me, the adult use, can, the medical cannabis years and years ago. But when that didn't happen, uh, I just kind of kept paying attention to the genetic work that I was doing. But my takeaway is if I would have been involved in the, uh, the medical cannabis early, I would have looked at everything I was doing through that set of lenses. And instead I farmed hemp first. So with respects to adult use cannabis, we're going to take the, the ability to, to farm it at a pretty substantial scale for cannabis anyway, and move that right into adult use. So where many operators were operating in, oh, maybe 20, 30,000 square feet on, on the highest end, and those are, those are big players, uh, we were operating at, at acres and acres and still creating a, a truly high quality smokable product. So we're well positioned to operate at a pretty substantial scale for adult use cannabis. That's exciting for sure. And that should go into full, full production and full uh, uh, saleability in early part of 2022 in New Mexico. Yeah. They're saying the drop dead date is, is April 1st, 2022. There's, there's a lot of speculation as there always is. Um, but the general sentiment is it will likely happen sooner. Um, this, the state is in a great position to kind of highlight themselves as putting a good program out there, facilitating it, and moving it into reality instead of just sitting there talking about it and saying, hey, we, we have passed this, but we're not doing anything with it. So I have to congratulate those at the top for, for bringing the product or the, the program 
uh, as far forward as they did in the time frame that they have. So when that all opens up, you're predicting growth then for the company? Substantial growth, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So where do we see, John, where do we see you in the company in five years? Um, well, that's an exciting prospect because in five years, we're going to be, I think, pretty well matured in terms of adult use cannabis. And uh, one thing that New Mexico really holds as a secret card is the region. You know, I, I'd like to consider myself a, an okay farmer. Uh, I would like to say that I've produced some, some, pretty, some pretty good genetics, uh, but I, I like to stay humble in those respects. But when it comes time to talking about our region, yeah, there's good genetics and good farmers all over the place. Make no mistake. But unique regions, you can't replicate a region. Um, and it just so happens that New Mexico is absolutely the Hindu Kush region of the United States. We share not only the same 35 and a half degree parallel, but we are high elevation. Often people think of, oh, Denver, it's mile high. We're over 2,000 feet higher than Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, the intensity of our sun because of our elevation is very relevant to the, the quality of cannabis that is produced. Uh, there's a, a swing or a delta in our day and nighttime temperature during the flowering phase of, of uh, our cannabis growing season. And that's incredible. Like, so it's, like, it's, 95, like wine, it's like wine grapes. They want the cooler night and the warmer day. Bingo. I mean, that produces sugars, but with cannabis, it, it also drives another above other compounds as well. Um, so that's really exciting because in the cannabis world, you know, for 20 years or 30 years, really 30, uh, I was trying to be younger for a second <laughs> for 30 years or more, right? People have been talking about Northern California and the Northwest coast area. And, and sure there's phenomenally good talent and, and, and farmers out there. But the fact is, no one's talked about New Mexico because we didn't have a real strong, close-knit cannabis community. We, we certainly have had good growers and good cannabis producers throughout the state, but we're very isolated. We're a, a state that has a, a really low population. But moving into a landscape of, of adult use and more socially accepted cannabis, mark my words, in five years, people will be talking about New Mexico like it is it is the champagne uh, nice. of, of cannabis for sure. So right now, state by state, you know, states are legalizing adult recreational use, but the laws are all different. The regulations are all different. Do you think in five years or so we'll, we'll get to sort of a national legalization and you'll start to see companies like yours that will be able to grow beyond state lines? I mean, right now there's some that are doing it, but they have to do it sort of in a hodgepodge fashion? I hope that companies like mine survive. Uh, and what I mean by survive is, is ultimately don't get bought out. You know, I, I think that the likelihood is where we get bought out, you know, I, I want to say no, but if I'm just deeply honest, uh, somebody shows up with, with enough money and recognizes who and what we are, um, you know, I might have to consider that. That's just me being honest. Um, And that's what's happened in in the alcohol industry, right? Craft beers and craft vodkas and and other things. You know, they, somebody gets a brand that becomes popular and all of a sudden Budweiser has bought them. That's right. You know, um, and I'm passionate about the plant. I'm I'm, I'm an advocate and I want to see small farmers uh, find their way. I like, I wasn't even a small farmer at once. I was uh, somebody who was passionate about the plant, and that was the extent of my reach. 
Um, but as I've grown deeper into the industry, you know, you have to look at things with a real set of eyes. And the reality is there's, there's going to be consolidations that occur. Um, they're probably going to get ramped up as more states come online. MSOs or multi-state operators are, they're powerful. I mean, these are nearing billion dollar companies. Uh, some of them may have already breached the billion dollar mark. Um, and at the end of the day, you have to, you have to confront reality. Uh, so in five years, if, if family hemp brands or our other cannabis company has not, uh, gotten bought up, well, I'll be on a tractor with a big smile on my face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before I let this go, when I was saying, uh, what's the coolest thing you're doing? You said, oh, we might have to talk about exp- extreme sports oh, as an yeah. interviewer. I can't let that go. Clearly, so, clearly yeah. there's some extreme sports in your background. What have you what have you done or what do you do? Uh, gosh, I, I was at the birth of snowboarding. So there that that at least dates me in terms of my age. Uh, my first year snowboarding was 86, 87 winter. And, and, um, and it was Taos, wasn't it? Where a lot of that really began. No, in fact, Taos was one of the nation holdouts. Uh, oh, okay. was I have it backwards. Play. Yeah. Yeah. They, they sure held a long time. Uh, but, but you know, that progressed for many, many years. I still am passionate about snowboarding, but I'd say that uh, kite surfing and snow kiting in, in, in particular are on my top list. Nice. Uh, paramo- paramotoring is at the threshold. Um, but yeah, everything from rock climbing to downhill mountain biking, clearly I have a thing for adrenaline or it has a thing for me. I don't know. But Not uncommon. Having interviewed a thousand entrepreneurs in my lifetime sure. now, not uncommon sure. to see entrepreneurs who like to push the envelope in other areas of life, whether it's extreme sports or something else. You bet. You can learn a lot from your, about yourself in those moments. So if somebody wants to find out more about you or about Family Hemp Brands, where do they go? Yeah, uh, website is easy, familyhempbrands.com. Um, we've got a, a comprehensive website there. And those that are interested in, in carrying our products, either through distribution or retail channels, um, we've got a, a wholesale application form that's easy to navigate and get in touch. We're happy to work with people. And, and the hemp products, that goes across all states, right? So that's, that's not sure a problem. Sure does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about Texas a little bit earlier. And uh, Texas, they, they love our products and we love them. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. And thank you so much for joining us here on Making Waves at Sea Level. Any last words? Ah, well, sea level. I'm going to say that the C stands for cannabis today. <laughs> today. <laughs> today it does. That's exactly it right. Does. Good. That's good. Great. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, and looking forward to uh, catching up another time and telling you more about what we're doing then. Great. I look forward to my next visit to uh, New Mexico. All right. Thank you, everybody. Awesome. Thanks, John, for being here. And thanks for everybody who tuned in and listened. I say cool. it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't even do this show. We are closing in on seven years and 700 episodes. So there's a lot that you can go backwards and listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast love. Do me a favor, go leave a review on your favorite site saying why you like this podcast. Uh, But more importantly than leaving a review, go tell a friend. Most people who find this little show say they found it because their mom, their dad, their brother, their boss, their neighbor, somebody told them about it. So word of mouth, still an important factor in the world of podcasting. So go and tell your friends. We're going to be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody just as cool as John. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your own entrepreneurial muscles. 
Make sure your career ladder is against the correct wall because you don't want to climb to the top and find out, oh gosh, I'm in the wrong place. And then finally, while you're out there doing all this, because it is hard work, have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.